Thanks for tuning in. This is Tyler. What up? This is Zach. This is the No Structure Podcast. Alrighty, you are now tuned into episode 90 of the most structuralist podcast in the world. I am Zach. Way down there at the end is Ty. We are the No Structure Podcast. I don't know why I was about to say. Yeah, what (laughs) What I was about to say. Uh, We have a very special guest with us here today. Tor is in the building. Well, technically he's always in the building, but now he's in front of the camera instead of behind it. Um, And we're out of the 80s. It's finally episode 90. Is it? Yeah. Uh, Thank God. Congrats. It's been a while. You guys got to be thinking about that 100 now at this point. Oh, for sure. That's yeah. 10 what are we going to do? Uh, I, I said Vegas and Tigers, but silk shirts. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Cigars, maybe a couple Cubans. Um, but yeah, did you want to go ahead and give yourself a little bit of an intro, let everybody know about you? I mean, I think they know you as like kind of our engineer video person. Yeah. So Tor Bjorn is my name. I go by Tor for short because not that many people could say that. But <laughs> if you see me on stage, I'm going to make you say the whole thing with the O, oh, with the slash through it and everything. Nice. I'm going to make you um, say my name. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Someone's got to. No yeah. one's, if, you know what I'm saying? I feel you. A right. whole other topic. <laughs> uh, Tacoma native. I'm a musician, a producer, studio owner, um, teacher at the Tacoma School of the Arts to do a little bit of everything. But yeah, it's all music and art and uh, performing. Yeah, sounds like you wear a lot of hats. Yeah. So give us some uh, like background on how you got started in music, kind of like what your influences are, like what, what made you want to pursue music? I pursue music because I got put into violin lessons as a, as a four-year-old, so shout out my mom for putting me through violin, but it was orchestra as a kid and then punk rock music as a teenager and then uh, getting more into computers and wanted to record myself uh, brought me to like doing production college-related stuff, and then that's become my career. Bringing the performing and the songwriting back into it now that I like know all the tech side of it and stuff. But yeah, it was always about making records and uh, playing music in front of an audience. Dope, dope, dope. So who were like your early influence as far as music's concerned? I think the f- the first album I ever got was like uh, Best of Marvin Gaye or something oh, like nice. that. That's, and, pretty that's a pretty solid one to start out with. Yeah, it's it's not a. The second one was like uh, Eiffel sixty five. You remember that? Oh I'm yeah, blue. yeah. Uh, yeah I'm so, blue people. Yep, yeah. So it was oh, like man. strong start and then immediately <laughs> downhill uh, after the fact. But yeah, you got to thank your parents for those early records. Oh, for sure. At least it wasn't like Hanson or. Yeah, that might have been oh, my can't, sister's, can't though. You can't hate on Hanson, though. I mean, they, they had their little run back in the day. Yeah, I don't know. Not, <laughs> not my cup of tea, but... <laughs> no, not your style? Yeah. How many instruments do you know how to play? Um, violin was my first instrument. Guitar. A little bit of piano and singing. And I feel like once you get to three or four, they all kind of make sense. But at saxophone, I got no shot on. If you really? need, like, breath control and stuff, that's a oh, whole other yeah. beast. Yeah, people that play wind instruments are crazy with it. I did um, baritone back in the day. Yep. Yeah. I was going to ask Briefly. you if you were ever in the if, in the yeah. band. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it was a requirement in middle school. Was it? I don't know. Was it a requirement? It was a, either band, uh, orchestra, or something else. Oh, yeah. yeah. I played the trumpet, and after, like, once I knew I was going to get first year, I was like, yeah, fuck this. Thinking of you playing the trumpet is, is kind of funny. Why? I just don't see you playing the trumpet. Oh, I don't even know why all. I picked it, to be honest. I just, we went into the, I'm pretty sure maybe it was a requirement in middle school too. And yeah. we just went into the place and I was like, you know what? The trumpet sounds cool. Yeah, I feel you. I feel like there's a, there's like a stereotype at that age, especially with every instrument. Mm-hmm. I feel like flautists and like oboe, I mean, being a middle school boy, you're like definitely the girls are playing that instrument. Right. And <laughs> the piccolo. Maybe, yeah. Us, us in, in middle school, maybe it was like a different era of like those gender stereotypes or whatever. But I remember distinctly being like trombone and like drums and like whatever the, the sousaphone or whatever the big one was. I was like, that's definitely. Is it the tall like, one that like people yeah. stand up to play? Yeah. That one was sick. Yeah. I could never do it, but that, that, those people that did, were doing it looked like they, they knew what they were doing. 
for uh, sure. What are some of your like favorite records from growing up? Like some albums that you always go back to? Um, I was just talking about this with one of the guys I was touring with last month is we still listen to this record by a band called At The Drive-In. Interesting. Their, their like successor band was called The Mars Volta. It's like some prog rock, Santana influenced psychedelic rock stuff. But for guitar players, it was a big one because the guitar player in their band was like prolific with his effects. And he was kind of like a second coming of Jimi Hendrix in a way. Oh, sick. Um, Sounds awesome. And yeah, just like totally like bent that instrument in a weird way that wasn't expected at the time. And so yeah. being a young guitar player, that was like, I was like, this is my shit. I need to do something weird and crazy like this. And that was kind of the band of that era. And I still go back and listen to those records. It's nostalgia at this point. For sure. But yeah, it, it was a moment in like the early 2000s for sure. For the kids that aren't hip that listen to this podcast, uh, Jimi Hendrix used to play the guitar like upside down and do all kinds of crazy mm-hmm. stuff with it. So if you don't know what he was doing, that's, that's yeah. what he was doing. He like lit his equipment on fire yeah, at shows and was like doing seances and all kinds of shock value stuff before that was like the thing, thing you know? before little Nas x yeah exactly. <laughs> he was the original little Nas x oh yeah was, that, that's an interesting comparison i mean there's probably some you know common denominator there but for sure definitely probably influenced at least i feel like a lot of especially the newer artists are in some way influenced by like that era of rock music yeah you gotta be yeah and just to let everybody know if you can hear sounds in the background there is construction going on next door um, so if you want to file complaints, we'll forward you guys the information. So you're a, a DJ, right? Yeah. Um, do you perform as a DJ or do you perform like, um, like if there's an artist performing, like you're their DJ? Uh, so I do both. I, depending on the situation, I've got like two different shows. I'm, I do like a hour to two hour long DJ set in like club settings mm. and, um, it'll specifically say like parentheses like dj set under my name when that happens um unless whoever makes the flyer fucked it up which happens (laughs) (laughs) sometimes too but the thing that i'm trying to focus on more now especially as i'm touring with more artists in the hip-hop space and collaborating with more artists in the hip-hop and rap space uh is i am also a songwriter and a vocalist and so i'll do kind of one or the other show depending on what it calls for Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of the same music in both sets so i'll do edited like club versions of the songs for my dj set and just spin the song that has my vocal in it, but I won't grab the microphone on a DJ set like I would at a rap show. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Is there like, um, like do you gravitate towards specific songs to get the crowd going? Like every time, like if you see the crowd's kind of just, eh, like is there something that you go to that you play know little, is going to do play it? Play a little journey. <laughs> There's, yeah, right? I think there are, I always go back to like 80s and 90s rap in that situation. Cause even if you're at a, uh, I work a lot in, or DJ a lot in like the EDM or bass music space, mm-hmm. even to that crowd, which is expecting some like very heavy, loud, aggressive bass, even dropping like Return of the Mac, everyone's going to yeah. get grounded for classic. a minute. And yeah, this, this transcends genre and, and time and all this stuff. So yeah. that's a good example. Next episode, yeah. uh, Snoop and Dre, stuff like that in, in any setting, like, I think even if you were at a rock show yeah. and that song dropped, people are going to be like, all right, it's that vibe. Let's go. Do you think it's because like, so you can have a song that's mainstream, but then there's a point that it's like, I don't know if there's a level above mainstream, but like that is where that's at, mm-hmm. where it really just touches everybody. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think if you've got not every one of those songs is going to work 100% of the time, but if you've got a couple of those in your bag and you're good at kind of recognizing who's at the show, how they're dressed, how they're dancing, whatever, right. you can usually get it pretty close. And if you yeah. win half the crowd, eventually you're going to win the whole crowd in that scenario. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. What's the what's the song that you play or that you just avoid playing? 
probably Toto, Africa. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that what you said just a second ago? Or no, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Yeah. I was trying to tease you, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was there, like Toto. If it would, uh, and, and no disrespect to any of those artists, those songs are classics too. But anything that I think would go down at like a wedding, I'm not going to play it at the club. Uh, interesting. interesting. Sweet yeah. Caroline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet yeah. Caroline does get, get the people going. Yeah. I don't know if there's, <laughs> if there's a trap edit or, or something, maybe Ooh. in the right moment you can catch someone's uh, yeah, humor. Yeah, be a you know, Bible and get a laugh yeah. or something. But. A chopped and screwed version. Chopped and screwed version. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, there's definitely a version of that. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I think um, I find myself not when it comes to like EDM, I find myself not playing a lot of that top 40, but I do still play a lot of rap top 40. Maybe that's just my personal preference, mm-hmm. but there's yeah. something about there being vocals on a track versus an instrumental that I think make it transcend a lot of people's different situations. Mm-hmm. Anyone could get down to a dope verse if they speak the language that the lyrics are in. But um, I don't think not necessarily everybody's going to get down to some crazy like womp or like chainsaw sound in a Skrillex song. Right. So it's, you just kind of got to play to, um, what am I trying to say? Play to what's going to work in most scenarios. Yeah. But so sometimes you're, you're wrong. You're like always adapting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I yep. definitely thought I've had that track and dropped it and yeah. cleared the dance floor plenty of times too. Uh, so yeah, you just learn. I'll definitely say hip hop is one of those ones that kind of transcends all genres. Like for example, I was, I used to frequent EDM shows and stuff. There was always at least one major hip hop song that had an EDM remix that would get everybody going no matter who they were. Yeah which is really dope. Like even if it didn't have a remix of it, but it still sounded like it could be kind of EDM ish. Like, uh, one time I was at Paradiso and they played EXO tour life by little Uzi vert, man, that crowd was insane. Like one of the craziest probably show, or like songs being played in a reaction to it that I've ever seen. People were going nuts, beach balls, crowd surfing, titties. Tight. It was, it was, it was a lot party. You think that, uh, you think you get like two for one in that scenario? Cause you get the people that are there for the remix and the style of the remix is, plus everyone that just recognizes the vocal or whatever the original is is gonna turn up regardless. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Another one that always, uh, seemed to go off in that situation was like, uh, Goosebumps by Travis Scott. Oh, yeah. Like, That's then you could just play the regular version and people would have gone out to the EDM concert for that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, staying on the DJ stuff though, what kind of skills or actually let's take a, a step back how do you get into DJing if you're not a DJ? Because it does kind of seem like a complicated process, but then at the same time, I think even you brought up, um, you know, people say, oh, it's just pushing buttons and stuff. So what kind of, how do you get into DJing? I think it's like uh, three, well, you get into DJing by just being someone who loves being in charge of the music. Right. So like, you know, it's not necessarily like turntables. If you're just the person that always is like, give me the augs in the car, give me the Bluetooth, because like I've got the songs on Spotify and I need you guys to hear these songs. I think that's the spirit of it. If you like want to be that person and look at all your homies, like have a good time because you picked the song, right. then like you could go very far with that sentiment. But uh in addition to that, I think the three fundamentals of like being a good DJ and what it takes to like stay doing that is you gotta have good rhythm because you gotta know how people are gonna dance to it. And whatever you're gonna do has to be in time with the music. And uh that sentiment that like, oh, you're just pushing buttons. So it's whatever. Everyone feels that way. And because everyone feels that way, you can't make any mistakes. If you play yeah. the song at the wrong time, everyone's like, oh, your job is so hard to press it when, and now we're having a bad time because the song's mm. out of rhythm or whatever. So I feel like there's zero room for error in that regard. The other thing is you got to know your playlist inside and out. Cause you got to know if you're cutting into the next song, when the verse is going to end or when the chorus whatever you're going to transition. If there's an instrumental part of the song, so you can overlap the two to make the transition seamless. 
You got to know every detail about that song so you could do that in a way to where everyone on the dance floor doesn't skip a beat. Interesting. They shouldn't know when a song ends and when the next one begins, ideally. Right. So you're pretty much saying you guys make it look easy, like a, a very difficult task. I'll take that. If yeah. that's a compliment, I'll take that. Yeah, because I saw someone <laughs> say like, um, like a, instead of saying that my job is easy, say like, I'm good at my job. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And to me, it sounds like you're really good at your job. On, you know I mean? on most nights, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't win them all. but Even LeBron's got to have an off game yeah, like for last sure. night. For sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will say that I tried to buy a little, like, uh, it was like a $100 Newmark DJ thing mm-hmm. just to play around with. It's definitely a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> yeah, the pressing play part is easy. And then once that song's over, once everyone's getting bored of the song that's playing and you got to get on to the next step, then it starts getting complicated. Right. And it's also, I feel like you have to have a lot of music knowledge. Not anybody can just hop up there and do that. Like you have to know a wide array of music or at least specifically in the genre that you're trying to DJ as well. Yeah. You got to keep it going for at least an hour. I think professionally, that's like the minimum. And people that do it at a high level and are headlining festivals probably are doing either longer than that or they're doing multiple nights of it to a similar crowd. So you can't do the same set. So it's not impossible to get at the beginner level to get to an hour of like good transitions and the right musical choices. But um, then next time you do it, ideally it should be completely different. Do DJs judge other DJs? For example, you said uh, a DJ can't do the same set two days in a row. Because I know if I were to be at a place and they did it two days in a row, I don't think I would notice because I'm just like there to vibe. Type yeah, shit, you know? yeah. But if you were there, you'd be like, this motherfucker, like he just did this shit yesterday. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. I, I'm sure some people are like that. So, I mean, it's it's got to be that some people are like that. And I probably used to be more like that. But I think as I became more successful, I stopped having reasons to judge people and just mm-hmm. figured out that it's like way better to not care and just be more supportive. But you're probably right. The majority of people probably don't know. Mm-hmm. Or if you're there for the first 20 minutes of the set on a Saturday and then on a Sunday, you're there for the last 30 minutes, you wouldn't catch the same right, songs right. or whatever. So yeah, I don't know with anything creative and with anything where someone's earning money and someone else that does what they do has to like watch it. There's got to be some judgment. Yeah. I would love to hear what that judgment is <laughs> just out of curiosity like <laughs> so what, what like are the crazy dj beef what are the critiques yeah. yeah of each other you know uh the, the ones that i've heard from um from other people the most have to do with, like how old the song is i think there's really? a, a little bit of a, a desire to be like on the cutting edge because like really a big part of what you're doing is selecting the songs mm-hmm. and so if you're playing really old songs then i think maybe it feels like it's not that hard to do that but if you're playing a, mm. a, the you know dance song that just came out on Kendrick's new album that came out last week. Mm-hmm. You got to dig and find the right websites to find the right file to actually DJ it. And, you know, there's some work that goes into that. Right. And I think maybe DJs might judge on more than people that don't know the process. Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying because in order to do it legally, is that kind of where you're coming at? Not necessarily legally, but like just to be a, uh, like if you're not first, you're last type of mentality. Mm-hmm. Like you want to have the newest song that just came out and be the one that's playing it before everybody else. I think that's, there's a high level of like difficulty or at least like preparation to be on that level. And people to that be, aren't, okay. you're like, okay, we're still listening to Hey Ya from yeah. Outcast, huh? Yeah. You know, anyone could have that song. Okay. So there's like, um, like this time period that's right before brand new to right before, um, like the, uh, we were just talking about like the mainstream hits that you can play 
to get the crowd going again. You know what I mean? So you got like um, two weeks prior to like 10 years ago of a window that you're not supposed to play. Is that what I'm getting? Yeah, I don't know what the the exact numbers are. That probably, but you know what but I mean. Yeah, I totally like there's like a, a window where you just like a, a taboo window. We're like, eh, I can't really play these songs yet. Yeah, it's not old enough yet, but it's it missed the point of being too new, kind of uh-huh. thing. That's weird. Well, I mean, as a, as a listener too. So, what do you think? How long are you gonna listen to an album if it's not you know your favorite artist or your favorite right. shit? Right. Yeah, because if there's um, it, actually, I'm not even gonna go there. But yeah, I, I see where you come from. Yeah. yeah. But then again, if I really like a song, though, it doesn't really get old to me either. Well, I have the habit of when I like a song a lot, I replay it a lot. Like mm-hmm. especially early Until on, it does get old, and then it gets old. To me. <laughs> yeah. Like really old, really fast. Yeah. yeah. Which is probably my own personal fault. Like I could space it out and listen to that song, you know. And keep its longevity going, but I think I burn it out too too quick. Same with albums. Like I was just listening to Donda today, and I haven't listened to that album since maybe two weeks after it came out. It's like, oh, I, now that I have fresh ears, it sounds a lot better than I thought it was from before. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I haven't listened to that since like the week that it came out either. I was oh, really a little disappointed, and then haven't given it the second chance that it probably deserves because it's Kanye. Yeah, 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 for sure. What do you think about like this wave of celebrity DJs? Because we do see like a lot of these like, I guess like social media influencers becoming DJs. Do, do you think that they're actually like focused on the craft and the art of it? Or is it just like a get rich quick scheme? I mean, um, I, but the, most of them are already rich, but you know, like yeah. raise their popularity or get a, what is it called in Vegas residency? Uh-huh. Yeah. I think people probably feel a certain way about like Paris Hilton being a DJ and mm-hmm. she's very public with uh, what her contracts and what her pay are too. And so I think a lot of people have been DJing for a really long time, pushing the culture and educating other DJs and all that stuff probably feel a little salty because they're like, fuck, I would love to get paid even $1 million and she's making like six a night Yeah, and she's playing for 14 nights. Like crazy. Uh, I could retire me and all my DJ homies. Could retire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I think at the end of the day, anything that is going to show people DJing is going to like spread awareness about the culture. And I think the talent will, you know, surpass or like have longevity over something that is just a cash grab or maybe just a flash of the pan. And uh, Paris Hilton is a great example, too, because um, I definitely would in any way that we could like promote uh, DJing to female identifying people, I think is a huge plus. Because they're probably underrepresented in the music industry on the whole. For sure. But um, on the other side of that, I also don't really have any beef with like Shaq becoming a DJ because <laughs> he's actually a really sick DJ. Yeah. And he plays like all the aggressive like banger type stuff that a lot of my friends get into. And you can imagine him at like Paradiso. I think he played Lost Lands this last year. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, it's just like... It's people that are taking fame from somewhere else and, and shedding a spotlight on something music related that's cool but we all want to get paid so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's easy to feel salty i think you can even compare that to like podcasting right like somebody that's been doing it for a long time and then you have somebody that just started doing it because they know like it's it, it's generating money right now so they get a look before somebody else does like i can i can see that being the same across like all art forms mm-hmm. i definitely feel that at times where there'll be someone that just starts one and so I got 100,000 views their first episode. I'm like, ah, oh, this motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Good for you, dog. At the yeah. same time, I try not to take that kind of stuff. Like, not I wouldn't say personally, but, you know, I like, try not to get that thought in my head. Is because most of these people that do do that and they jump really quickly like that probably had a fan base somewhere right. else to begin with. Right. You know, instead of building it up from the ground. So, 
Yeah, it is two sides of it. Like uh, Conan comes to mind because he was like pretty late in the podcast game. I think he's maybe in his third or fourth year now. And he's like been in the top 10 pretty much since their podcast launched. But I didn't listen to podcasts really before that. I'm a Conan fan. So I found that as a recommended thing on Spotify. And now there's like 12 other podcasts that I'm into. So there's it's like a double edged sword in that way. Yeah, he brought you to podcasting and now for sure you expanded out from it. What do you think is actually harder to DJ at uh, EDM crowd or hip hop crowd? That's a good question. Probably a hip hop crowd. And this will sound judgmental, and I mean no, no disrespect, but I think EDM fans are just a lot more inebriated and a lot more open for whatever <laughs> experience is going to find its way to them. Um, I, on the whole, in my experience, have seen the rap club going crowd be way more of like an alcohol consuming crowd. Mm-hmm. And it's just a different vibe, not better or worse, but a different vibe and a different expectation that comes from that experience in your nightlife. Right. Right. I will say that uh, I feel like a lot of EDM stuff and why people get into EDM music is because of the environment that it's being played in. Like it just to me, when I was into that kind of stuff, it felt like a, a free and open space to just be expressive. But I could see that like like maybe hip hop clubs where it's a little more crowded. It's darker. It's not like outside and stuff. How it would be like it'd be, you're less likely to be feel, or feel free, I guess. I don't know if that's I'm putting that the right way. Yeah, I think on the whole, like the EDM culture is very much like a, a love everything, judgment free zone. That's like almost an extension of uh, Grateful Dead culture, mm-hmm. which is very like just free peace, everything. Very Woodstocky. Yeah, yeah. And I think about when I go to the nightclub, I want to get drunk and hear my song. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a different vibe for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a good point because when I go to the club, I know exactly what type of music I want to hear and what mood I'm going to be in. But when you go to the EDM shows, especially if you're not very familiar with some of the other DJs and you're just kind of wandering around, like you said, you know, most people are inebriated. So you're wandering around, you discover more music and just things like that. So I definitely feel like it's a more open culture as far as like the shows are concerned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So you've done Paradiso in like some of the festival stuff, the rave kind of adjacent stuff. What's your rave experience oh god do you want to talk about the wood i mean i've been to a couple yeah with you i think every time i've been to one i think did we go to more than one we went to uh what's the one in halloween we went to freak night one year is that the tacoma dome uh no this was was, back in like 2016 back then yeah yeah okay yeah i had a bad experience then i was just fucked up and then but besides that like the whole vibe like, um, to answer your question, I've been to a couple raves and the whole vibe is cool. Like, it's definitely, um, I think everyone should experience it. Mm. It's not uh, something I would traditionally go to, but I, I did fuck with it when yeah. I was there. Yeah. Besides that one time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So follow up question. How old were you when you went? Um, early 20s. Early 20s. 20s. Yeah, yeah, probably. Let's see. That was Same. five years ago. Yeah. So like 20, 25. Was 26. that five? No, it was more than five years ago. Oh, yeah. Maybe I was just out of college when we went to that. So that would have been phew, seven years ago, six years ago. I wasn't with Tay. Yeah. And me and Tay been together seven years. And it was way before that. I'm thinking, bro, it was closer to like nine years ago. No, because I didn't graduate until I was like 2015, I think. Okay. So it probably was that year then. Yeah, it had to be. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was like right, right when I got out of college. That. Okay. But also, Freak Night's a weird one because it's kind of like people are dressed up. People are kind of like it's like freaky. Yeah. You know, for lack it's of like better costume term, costume party type shit. You're right. I wonder how if we had gone to like a Paradiso instead of going to Freak Night, how much different your experience would have been. 
probably extremely different. (laughs) (laughs) I think the summer vibe, the summer festival vibe, like a Coachella type or um, like an EDC type is definitely, definitely going to be like the most uh, like widely understood and and grounding maybe or just maybe enjoyable in general yeah the halloween shit is tight but that's not everyone's like preferred aesthetic you know yeah. what i mean yeah, yeah. Like I, yeah. I'm not, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm not a horror movie person, and a yeah. lot of Halloween parties just feel like they're just like horror themed parties. I agree with almost, you, man. And I don't know. I feel like if I was out in the sun, you know, in a comfortable temperature, it would like that type of music, like that vibe, would be cool, cool as fuck. Yeah, yeah. I will say that Paradiso was always an amazing time. Every time I went, it was just between like the music was good, but between the people you go with and the atmosphere out there, just like how the gorge looks during the summer. Uh, it was just an amazing time. It was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. They're not doing Diesel anymore, right? I'm not sure. I haven't gone in a couple years. It's been like maybe 2017 or 18 was probably the last time I went. Maybe even before that. Okay. Yeah, you got, a couple times. Are you familiar with the, the name USC? It's like an events company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I think that was a USC event. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. they had like a... a they shut down or had like a big um, like management change or like some huge internal stuff happened. So a lot of the, and it also aligned with like the quarantine year. So everything right. was weird and music and everything the last two years for sure. Um, but it kind of like made a lot of those big festivals like go away for a little while. And mm-hmm. then some of their events were like at WAMU theater and some of the other like larger venues up in the Seattle area. And that's kind of stuff disappeared. Right. So there's been this weird uh, like resurgence of underground EDM for the last like two years happened in Seattle, which has been really dope. That sounds dope. Like one, I was gonna say one, like one of me and one of my friends were always talking about. It would be dope if you just threw like a secret EDM party. Like you have the only way you would know about it is like word of mouth. It's in like a basement somewhere, like a house party type vibe, but like Mm -hmm. a a little bit more safe than a house party. Yeah. Yeah. So those are in in EDM world. Those are usually called renegade parties, and most of ours in the Pacific Northwest happen out in like state forest areas. Okay. People bring in a, a big generator and a big you know stage sound system. And then everyone goes, everyone goes camping. Cause that's like a big overlap. We got camping yeah. crowd here in Washington and <clears throat> happens all the way out to Oregon. And, um, I don't know. That's an extension of like Burning Man shit. I get that's green tea Sasquatch for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just sure. on, on some mushrooms, just water through the forest. Oh, yeah. at Burning Man? Uh, I was going to say any of these things. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, well, by the end of a week in the desert, everyone looks like a Sasquatch. Yeah, yeah, Burning, yeah. Man. That shit is Burning Man looks insane. I've always wanted to try it, but uh, I don't know. It's grueling. It's high desert camping for a week. And it's, you know, unless you're going to rent an RV and have an AC, like, you're just going to be gross. For yeah, a week. I'm good. There's no way around it. I did, like, one night camping at Natchez when it was, like, 100 degrees out, and that was enough for me. Yeah. That's about as much camping as I want to do. Yeah. Except for, like, Paradiso, where it's, like, to, like that's like together camping. That's not like glamping though. Yeah, glam camping, glamorous camping. That's my style. Yeah, like uh, doing Burning Man. Like I feel like I would need an RV, but then I also feel like that takes away from what it's about. You know what I mean? Yeah, my my OGs. I've been to three of them, and my OGs that brought me in there were like, no matter what, you camp your first year because you just got to know what that's like. Yeah. After that, you you got the whole rest of the year to save up for that RV rental for right. the next one if that's yeah. what you want to do. But I did three years in a tent. And worked with a camp that had one of the biggest uh, stages there as like a work trade or opportunity trade to like play uh, that stage with like Diplo and all these other huge Skrillex and all these other huge crazy DJs. Mm. And um, I'm definitely not going back to that shit without an RV in, yeah. the, in the future. <laughs> but I really love camping 
So I think that's why I stuck it out as long as I did. I feel it. But yeah, that's anyone should bucket list Burning Man. And if you want to show up in an RV because the camping sounds terrible, <laughs> like I'm not gonna judge you. People there will, yeah. Yeah. I don't give a fuck if they judge me anyway. Like, bro, I'm comfortable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got to show up in, like, the RV from... Do you guys remember the Goofy movie when the dad shows him there's, like, a bowling alley in it? He's got, like, all this crazy stuff. That's how I pulled up to Burning Man. Yeah, bro. It's all right. <laughs> Goofy um, movie's a sick reference. That's a great movie. <laughs> Cheese, or what does he say? Cheese Whiz? Or? Oh, yeah. It's, like, the voice of Pauly Shore, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pauly oh, fucking dude. Shore. Pauly Shore is that so funny as fuck, Yeah, Pauly Shore's a funny dude. Um, going back to... Uh, we You talked about COVID a second ago. Yeah. How did that change what you're doing now as far as the DJing, as far as like the studio, everything, how did that, how did COVID affect that? Um, I mean, it affected everyone in, in so many ways. You know what I mean? I, I think like the big picture, basically everyone in the music industry either lost their job or at least had to press pause on their job for a year. Um, some people had some stuff in the bank to hold them over. The rest of us became, you know, like Uber drivers and, mm -hmm. and shit basically. Um, I had been, Three years prior to the year that we were all in quarantine, I had been building this studio up to start doing more live streaming um, for uh, my community or like DJ crew, like people that I hang out with that right. do that. We had big Twitch dreams and um, that all kind of like the cameras came in the mail and everything kind of came together with the studio shortly before everything shut down. So we were really fortunate not to already have a big YouTube or Twitch following or whatever, like many people do, but at least to be like set up to start doing that. And so that became like a big side hustle for us. It kept us relevant in, you know, our names relevant as artists in the music community, kept a little money coming in on the side through like Twitch affiliate and all of that type of stuff. And then it, it really was like a big platform for all four of the DJs that did the show. We all like immediately got touring and gigging opportunities as soon as stuff started opening up because we had been continuing to grind it out for that whole year. Um, but I was, when I was not uh, teaching and doing my other like many part-time jobs that equate to my one full-time job, like through the summer, I was on unemployment, like, you know, pretty much everybody else that was out of a job. Yeah, Super Thanks. grateful for that. And um, I reinvested like almost every penny of that back into the studio, which has turned into doing projects like this yep. and doing music live streams for Facebook and for Microsoft and all kinds of crazy shit. So it was like a, a rough year of kind of having to like swallow my pride and like not really do all the music shit that I wanted to do. Right. But it was worth it in the end because I just like always, I stayed opportunistic the whole year and I tried to make sure like anything, any like thing that fell off of my plate, like opportunities or, or gigs or whatever, like, you know, fell on the other people that were friends and family and my community and stuff like that so that's awesome so in a way it was you, it was bad obviously because covid and stuff stopped the live thing but you found another avenue which is really dope which i feel like a lot of people during covid had to kind of pivot and find another way to like do their art or do whatever especially with everything being shut down yeah yeah that's crazy and you made it out which is dope yeah, it was like, it's definitely like some scary moments in there financially. And, you know, everyone had a mental health check. I mm -hmm. think regardless of their situation, this last year was, uh, you know, put everyone to the test. But, um, yeah, just gratitude for everyone and like every opportunity that came my way. And like for you guys too, being here, renting the studio out and stuff is like, it's what I'm trying to build. So, hell yeah, man. That's really uh, speaking of people losing their jobs, can we kind of transition to this, um, COVID mandate stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Because this is... Oh, I was going to say. Uh, 
I have a feeling that my job is going to look very different in a few months. People at my job. Um, I know we're seeing headlines about, especially the police in Seattle, that are um, either they're quitting just straight up or they're on paid leave awaiting um, the results of their exemption status. And I know there's a lot of people at my job that are like that. What do you guys think is going to come out of this? Do you think there's just going to be a lot of open jobs? Or do you think a lot of people are just going to comply? A lot more open jobs. Because there's already so many jobs open now with like places putting out hiring signs and nobody wants to go work there. It's so crazy because if you look at the beginning of COVID, um, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs, like unwillingly lost their jobs. And then we start kind of coming back. People are getting jobs again. And then now people are, are dropping off willingly, you know? It's kind of weird what happened in a year. Like the, the two forms of job loss, you know? Yeah. It's weird. It is strange. Yeah. Just like you said, like you had mentioned unemployment, like a lot of people didn't want to have to be on unemployment. Like they, we were forced to do that because of all the closures. But now it's like people are getting a choice between if you want to work or not, but you have to get the vaccine in order to do it. So it's kind of weird. Um, like for me personally, I feel like I would want everybody to get back so that we can get through this, but I do believe it's a personal choice. Like it, whatever you guys want to do, you do you. Also, at the same time, if you're really willing to stand on, I'm not doing this, and you're willing to lose your job, then who am I to tell you, you know, how to feel or what, you, where your morality stands or whatever like that? If you're willing to lose, you know, your source of income to fight this, then hey, I, I kind of have to applaud that too that you're willing to take the risk of losing your job, especially if you have like a family and stuff. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a crazy time. It really is. Like it's, it's sad to see people lose their jobs because of this. But at the same time, it's like they were given the choice of whether or not to. So it's, I'm really conflicted on how to feel on it. Like the Kyrie situation. Everybody knows I love Kyrie. Mm -hmm. I've sang praises. But even in his situation, I'm like, I don't know if he's making the right choice. But for him, if he feels it's the right choice, then have a blast. Right. I mean, we talk about this all the time about how adults should be able to be adults. Yeah. So I completely understand the confliction where, especially now, like, if you could get a vaccine that is supposed to make it so that you're not going to have severe symptoms, I don't give a fuck if you don't get one. Like, it's not going to affect the people that got the vaccine. You know yeah, what I mean? for sure. Like, if you want to take the stated risk, that's on you. I don't think that you should necessarily lose your job for that. Because if you, there's an option to be protected. And at, at this point, you would have already done it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Do you think, I, I was thinking about this earlier today too. Do you think there's like a, with the thought of mandating it, it's like an equity issue too, right? Like who, how and where and when and why the like vaccine is available or, or required? Cause like certain, um, Certain places require people to gather to go to to go to work, mm -hmm. and certain places don't, don't. And certain companies can choose to like require that for people to show up or not. So people that are working in any state-funded thing are going to have to deal with a mandate because that's what the governor has basically issued. Mm -hmm. And people that work in private business, private sector, may not be facing that same like either do this or you can't work here. Wait, um, are you asking issue. if if those two situations should be equal? I just think it's like, uh, well, I don't think they should be equal, but I just think that it's like 
not everybody is going to face the same issue or the same stresses with that, depending on where you work or what your industry is. Yeah. And so that's where I feel conflicted about, um, about a vaccine mandate, like statewide, like everyone would have to do it because it doesn't seem yeah. like it's fair to every group of people. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I also think that there's a lot of places that it's just a federal mandate, correct? So a private company or is it state mandate period? Uh, I think it's state for now. I don't think every state requires you to. I think it's by decision from whoever is running the state. Okay. Because I know I, Texas definitely doesn't have one. <laughs> right. So I guess I haven't looked too far into it because the only thing that's very relevant to me is my job mm-hmm. that is mandating it. Right. And to me, it's almost like a liability issue where it comes to we can't have... um this variable of we don't know who's not going to be at work often. Like that's what it seems like it's coming down to, to me, because um, if you are vaccinated, they're not going to let you go home and quarantine for two weeks. Like that's a lot of the workforce that is gone for two weeks due to being sick by COVID. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And now I'm sure that's going to be taken away. Because why wouldn't it, you know? So now it's uh, a lot more predictable to, to have your workforce there. And I think that there's a lot of mentalities of places that's like that. Because I do know that there's a lot of companies that, you know, 50% of the employee population, which I think mine is about there, maybe even more, are extremely against it, period. But that still leaves room for them to take a lot of days off from being sick. You know, yeah, it's a right. weird situation, man. Obviously, it's weird. You know, well, and going back to the liability thing, like you said, um, a lot of companies, like you were talking about, where a lot of people have to gather. A lot of those companies, if somebody gets sick, they have to shut down a part mm-hmm. or whatever to quarantine people to get people exactly. tests and stuff. So now these companies, and you know, it's always fucked the man with me, but these companies, they do have to protect their own selves too. It's like, hey. I've got to make sure that I'm providing a safe environment where I'm not going to have to shut down operation for two or three days because one person gets sick and we all have to get everybody tested. Right. I think a lot of it when it comes to these companies is going back to the money. It's a money decision where it's like, I can't lose this money. I need my people here. You know, because at my job, if one person gets COVID, the whole team or department however you want to call it goes home that's how ours for two weeks that's a long fucking time for multiple people to be gone that are doing a a a priority you know project you know right so i think they want to eliminate that i think that they're almost using this as an excuse for getting through that part kind of like tighten everything up yeah yeah I can see that for sure. I would, I would just wish too that they would, but again, that's taking the risk of people still getting sick and coming in, but maybe giving people the choice of whether to either get the vaccine or have, I know a lot of companies are doing like a weekly test thing, mm-hmm. but I don't know how many people, like how many companies are actually enforcing that weekly test. So that goes back to another money thing. I don't know if companies are going to be willing to do that for how long. Yeah, exactly. Also, I want to know after this uh, mandate, I think it's December 8th across the state. I think so. Maybe country. I'm, I'm not, not sure. sure. Yeah. Either way, so there's a time frame that you have to get this by. Um, after that, what does the mask situation look like? Because I think a lot of people mm-hmm. are going to have issues if the mask mandate is still pre- uh, prevalent for a long time. 
Or it's like, so what was the point of that? You know? Yeah. Interesting. Well, even tying back into the music thing too, what do you, how do you think that that's going to affect venues moving forward too? Do you think the venues are going to make everybody have to be vaccinated in order to go in? A lot of them already are in Seattle, at least, um, require, you know, 72 hour negative test. If it's like, uh, the correct type of test. And I always forget what the acronym or like what the name of PCR test or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But what happens if you get in contact with somebody who has COVID like two hours after you got tested? Like I always wondered that part. It's like, yeah, 72 hours with a, you know, negative test or whatever. That's so much time to see people, you know? Yeah. I, that's a, a weird number to me. Well, I think it comes down to the incubation period. Like there's a, from the time that you're in contact with somebody from three days from that is when you're supposed to get sick. Okay. Right. So if you, I mean, that would make sense if that's the case. Yeah. So if, if that's the case, then you would, if you took the test and then the next day got in contact, you theoretically wouldn't get sick until after said event. Okay. Well, it's like when the symptoms would show up, right? Like they can test for your traces. You'll shove that thing up your nose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They can test for traces Fuck of that, that up in your brain. Yeah. Uh, before you'll like actually start feeling wheezy or coffee or faint or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I think, um, I think it's all, we're all just doing the best we can with like limited information and everything that we've done and will probably do for a while is going to be flawed in some way. Yeah. And, um, I'm, I'm afforded like just a, a really healthy body, at least at this point in my life. I don't get sick a lot, never had the flu, any of that stuff and no COVID scares or anything. So I'm probably like, uh, not the best person to have this opinion because I have like very little fear of it. But I just, I just think the whole thing is frustrating and we need like better solutions all around. And, uh, I agree with you 100%. I think whatever is going to get people healthy in groups where they need to be in groups as soon as possible is a good option. I think getting a vaccination is tight, but I think we got to have a plan B because not everyone's trying to get vaccinated. No. Regardless of like your opinion on that health science, politically wise, like it is like a divisive thing that everyone is facing right now. And anything divisive, I think is whack. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you're talking about, um, and you just said something about, um, you said something about the mask. I forgot. I try to hold it in my head while you're talking. (laughs) Um, but it had me uh, think about how there's a certain point where we, we've flip-flopped. Well, CDC has flip-flopped or the government or whatever about... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seems like... Yeah, about like um, how to wear a mask or if it's effective or... Um, Should even down to what type of mask to wear. Right, or like, I don't know, vaccines. Like, you know, if you get this vaccine, it's not going to spread from you. Or But now it's like, no, you you can get it. Or like, no, this variant doesn't work with this vaccine or uh you're still susceptible to this variant. whatever it is like there's just a lot of things whether or not you're even seeing it from the government source or the cdc source there's headlines nonstop on people's phones nonstop about very conflicting information with each other mm-hmm. so what i'm trying to get to is that right now we're at a uh, vaccine mandate then we're wondering after the vaccine mandate what's going to happen with the mask Everything from here on out has to be very carefully decided because people aren't going to accept any more wishy-washy. Yeah. Like it's yeah. creating a very weird complex that's going to, it's going to lose a lot of trust, even more trust with a lot of people very, very fast if these decisions are not concise with each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. 
You're reminding me of, um, I was reading this article on like the top 10, uh, traits of like an autocratic ruler mm-hmm. and how every, everything I'm going to sound so like conspiracy theorist now and I'm not Fuck trying it. to, but not do it. like everything that's happened. All right. We're all reptiles. We all, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. no, it's like everything that's been communicated through, through our government and our mainstream media and stuff over this last year, like takes all of the 10 signs like uh, manipulation of media, uh, like allying uh, other enemies' enemies Mm -hmm. for like use of their media platforms for misinformation and all this stuff. And I just like was reading down this list and I was like, man, this just sounds like everything I've heard about COVID and masks and the uh, vaccine and like all of it all in one article. But this article actually is about how this dude like took over China. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you know, autoc- autocratic rulers. It's anyways. I'm like trying to write some lyrics about it too, so I'm reading some weird shit right now. That is actually interesting. I try not to get my mind wrapped up in too many conspiracies because sometimes I do freak myself out. Like yeah. just um, like I feel like you create your own conspiracies at time, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, there are a lot of things that don't make sense to me. Like straight up, you know, a lot of things that seem weird. A lot of things. The timing is kind of weird, and then I can. I'll play out like scenarios in my head about how this can look in the future. Sometimes it scares me, so I just try to like not go too deep. If you go too with, deep, it starts getting scary. Well, the the thing that scares me even more is like if I can think of this, someone with power can fucking think of this very easily. Yeah, like the fuck, I just thought of it just power now. Like it's a very easy thought. Like it would be easy for people to be easily manipulated by those people. Yeah, or just. Just rogue, powerful people, I feel like, can do a lot of damage with a lot of things. Yeah. I will keep it vague. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think about the moon landing? Yeah. <laughs> Their director did a great job. Yeah. It was, uh, we did a, so we used to, previous... Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick. Yeah, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. We used to um, do a segment, conspiracy talk segment, every week, especially during the COVID. And that was one of them was faking the moon landing. Which is pretty interesting. It was, uh, it, yeah. Both know. sides are very convincing, man. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just, it's funny to think about in general because I think about that conspiracy and how, like, our grandparents probably argued about that shit. Yeah. Just Do you think, think that what, they did? That shit ain't real. I mean, that, <laughs> at the time? At that, I don't know how old the conspiracy theories go, but. In my mind, I like to envision a very comical scene yeah. where our three grandparents <laughs> yeah. are our age. Yeah. It's hell of a long time ago, yeah. probably in black and white, you know, this biopic yeah. that I'm discussing. They're over here looking at the screen like, no, but if you look yeah, right there yeah, on this yeah. little ass TV. I know. God damn it. Yeah. Now I'm second guessing myself. Maybe everyone was just like, yeah, that's real. And then went back to work. I think at the time, yeah, I think majority of people thought it was real. Only because there wasn't a lot of technology out to prove other options, you know? Yeah. But now we have so much technology that you can probably make it look like we're on the moon right now pretty easily. Pull that green you know screen I mean? down. We can do a lot. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, just to know that uh, technology is crazy and then the conspiracy about how the government is, what, 30 years more advanced technology-wise, technologically. Yeah. Um, like, putting those together, people are like, wait a minute. So in the 1960s, like, they are probably 1990 technology. They had, uh, they had those uh, yeah. those big big ass Macs already in 1960. Yeah, like the ones with the, the color one of each color. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like um, what's it? What movie had that on there where they're trying to get the files out of it? Zoolander. Zoolander. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, you had me thinking about the MacBook Pro drop that just happened earlier this week. What that the was like notch? The, the first crazy. Um, 
That was the first thing they like featured in the ad is a dude opening his garage and like pulling that old eMac or iMac or whatever yeah. off of his desk. And then he made a beat using like all Apple sounds, like an iPod click. And oh, I didn't see that. I, I caught like a little bit of the when they were showing like the specs and stuff for it. And that new MacBook looks insane. I'm yeah. too poor to watch that. Oh, man, I feel <laughs> I, I feel the same way. I'm like. And I was like, been waiting for it for yeah. months. And I was like, all my computers that I use for DJing and shit are like getting to be like 10 years old. Oh, that's so it's time to update. Ancient. Yeah. yeah. I feel like at MacBook Pros last longer than a lot of computers do. Or maybe you I'm think? just really careful. I've yeah. been lucky. Maybe I think too. it's the latter. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, anyways, I was like, it's time to upgrade. I'm doing this. And then I was like looking at the specs and I was like, okay, we're going to have to save up a little longer. Yeah. <laughs> Tax right up. Yeah, but you got to be able to. You gotta have that much on your credit card to yeah. swipe it to write it off in the first place, and not sure. yet. You got that, bro. You <laughs> got all it. You got all the space. Call my bank. <laughs> Actually, did you guys see that? There's a movie coming out. I think later this year, or maybe next year, where the moon is like gonna crash into Earth. No. Oh yeah. I was like, I started going down a deep rabbit hole of moon-related conspiracies after I saw that. Interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember that video game where that happens. It's like a Zelda video game. Oh, uh, Majora's Mask for Nintendo yeah, 64. Yeah, that sounds really familiar. I know it's in another movie too. It was um, the Time Machine? Yeah, based on the H.G. Wells uh, book. He, I think I'm pretty sure he travels to the future and the moon's like exploding, and coming apart because they tried to colonize it. Yikes! Uh, one thing about uh, humans, they'll try to colonize something and fuck it all up. Yeah, straight up. <laughs> so, what's the, what's the name of this movie? The new Moon movie? Uh, I think it's called like Twenty. It might be 2022. I think so. It probably is coming out next year. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we got to look forward to. All right, we just got out of this, and yeah. the moon's falling. God, yeah, damn. we're all fucked. Um, let's switch back to talking about music, though. Uh, tour stuff. So we had a couple yeah. questions about you going on tour. So recently, you went on tour in October, right? September. September. Oh, we're in October. What am I talking yeah. about? I keep thinking it's November for some reason. Damn. Uh, so how many cities and how many days was it again? We uh, we were out for 20 days and we played 19 shows. We had one day off and day off gets like an air quote because we drove from Orlando, Florida to Denton, Texas. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's Damn. like a 17 hour drive. But yeah, man, touring's great. Well, I love touring and I think anyone who loves to travel and doesn't mind like sitting in a car or in a plane for like 50 to 60% of the time that you're touring, you'll do great. I'm, I think a big part of that is being with good company. For sure. Yeah. Because if you're just kind of traveling solo or with people you don't fuck with, I can see that being bad real fast. Yeah, definitely. If you're if you're traveling with people that like you don't get along with, that's going to be a long, a long trip. Maybe not 20 days, but I could do I could do maybe like 10 days solo. Yeah. Obviously, you like see people in the town where you're going or whatever, but that's true. Yeah. Um, tiring. How tiring do you think? It was. It was, um, it's pretty tiring. I mean, the, the schedule is like you get to a city depending on how long you have to drive within like, you know, zero to like four hours of when you need to start working. So mm. you basically got time to grab lunch and maybe see one friend. Otherwise, you by the time you get to the city, if it's a long drive, you basically just show up and got to do the show straight yeah. away. And then the social side of being at shows and communicating with everyone and trying to make friends in cities I've never been to, that's the most exhausting for me, the driving and the performing and like sleeping obviously is fine if you're mm -hmm. comfortable. Like all the other sides of it aren't that draining for me, 
but I'm like, uh, I'm definitely an introvert. So the social side of it is where I got to like get outside of my comfort zone and, yeah, you know, the networking, try to, yeah, exactly. Switch mm-hmm. on some charm and make some friends yeah, and all that yeah, type yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Well, even in that Toby case, Orn. Just, yeah, <laughs> in that case too, just finding time, like you said, you're an introvert and a lot of introverts need time to just like process alone, mm-hmm. you know, to be alone. And that would be hard being in a van or on a plane for that amount of time and not being able to have like alone time. I know for a fact I need that every day. Oh, same. Yeah. Every day, man. Yeah. Like, I feel like if I, if I stretch that out, if I'm too busy, um, just nonstop for a day, like, I still feel off if I don't have, like, just maybe, like, an hour to myself. Yeah. You know? I need an hour of 2K in my underwear. There you go, man. <laughs> a, couple, uh, a couple blue boots. Talk about, though, a little bit about um, what actually goes into planning a tour, because I feel like people just think you hop in a van, you go on tour, but it seems like there's a lot more moving parts in that, mm-hmm. especially counting on other people to, you know, find venues and things like that. So talk about kind of how that process is. And can I actually add to that question? Yeah. Um, no, you can't. <laughs> did you take part in the planning, or was did you guys have someone do that for you? This We're super fortunate to have a team uh, on this tour and the one that we're doing in November. So I'm like... I'm basically hired as the DJ for a group called Dark Time Sunshine. Shout out Henri and Zavala, who make the music, the vocalist and the producer. Um, Zavala doesn't tour anymore. And so that's how I got the gig, because they need someone in charge of the tech and in charge of like playing the beats and stuff. Interesting. Um, they've been doing it for a really, really long time and have built up a team over like two decades. So they've got a record label, um, Fake Four Records, based out of Hartford, Connecticut, is like helping them get the music and like uh, recorded, getting it mixed, getting the vinyls pressed, all that type of stuff. That's like a huge cost and a huge um, just merchandise in general is a huge planning part of the tour because that's where most of the funds come from. Because mm-hmm. you're also planning and paying for hotel stays. Once you get the shows booked, you're planning for like a car rental, gas and all that stuff. And if you're a booking agent, shout out Oliver Booking Company, who takes care of all our shows with Dark Time Sunshine. If they're good at booking the shows for the right guarantees, all of that is like a wash or a little bit in the plus. And then you like slang your hoodies and vinyls like a motherfucker and try. That's where you're really getting a paycheck. Mm -hmm. So it's different for every artist, but I think the merchandise being one of, if not the like biggest moneymaker for musicians is probably true across the board. Okay. Um, going into this, did you have a different perspective, um, about what touring was? Actually, back up. Was this your first time touring? I've been touring all uh, through my teens and 20s all okay. over the country. So you're very familiar with what goes on yeah. with the process. Yeah. Okay. Um, what would you say something is that besides the behind-the-scenes cost um, question that you brought up, uh, what's something else that you think is just people just don't even understand about like that life? I think it's um, I think it's a big like misunderstanding of what uh the lifestyle is in general Mm -hmm. like we're we don't we're not like roughing it by any means you know we're like super grateful to be staying in hotels and in nice spots and playing in actual nice venues but a lot of people for the first 10 or more tours that they do um it's like no girls and no champagne in your hotel room probably for the first couple years Mm -hmm. if at all uh it's it's probably no profit and it's probably very few like actual reputable venues that you're playing at. Um, even we're kind of somewhere in the, the middle on these tours. Like we're not, you know, fully rock starring it out, but we're playing some like really cool spots and playing to some really big crowds. And even so, some of our stops are at dive bars. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, 
the sort of like rock star dream is like you play to thousands of people and everyone's singing your song. And that's like 1% of people that tour, I think actually have that. And then the hose in the hotel room is probably only yeah, even one percent of that. The after, <laughs> the after party at the hotel, uh, yeah. you always see those like classic rock movies where they have like the whole floor like booked out. And there's just women running naked in between each room and right. drugs and alcohol everywhere. Like it seems very glamorous when you see it on the TV screen or even on Instagram now. Like you see little baby goes on tour, he flies private jet everywhere. He has a, you know fleet of SUVs to pick them up. So it looks glamorous, but I guess, you know, people don't see like the other side of it where you have to really grind to get to that glamorous point. Yeah. I think that some of that is like branding too. I, mm -hmm. I was watching this, uh, this TikTok video the other day and it was like, uh, every Instagram model exposed. And it was a dude like sitting on a private jet holding like a fake champagne glass and he pretends to pour it out and then walks out of his seat and the camera pans and you can see that it's just like a set that you yeah. can hire out some studio yeah. in LA you could hire out. We talked about yeah, that yeah, before. We, yeah, we've seen that quite a bit. It's Everyone actually, in the I same think, seat of the that, same uh, jet. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, that jet is on Peer Space, actually. Yeah, for real? Yeah. That's funny. Bro, that 100th episode, you guys oh, got to do it on the jet. jet. Oh, that, would be, that would be dope that would be as fuck. I like that idea. Yeah. Hell yeah. You know, Tour life, baby. Yeah. Yes, baby. <laughs> and then, but you could just fake it like everyone else and just be like, episode 100, we're recording on a jet. Like, yeah. I'll fly some, you know, sounds in of the engine and shit in the background. Yeah, we're yeah. We're just circling around Seattle. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I need you guys to commit, though. Yeah, yeah. Ten, ten, ten episodes. Oh, man. Yeah. What is um, what's the craziest, not craziest venue, but like what's the most or the best venue that you've ever DJed for at? Mm, really good question. I want my default answer to that usually is Burning Man because we, I got to play, uh, alongside like some of my all time, like heroes, DJ producers, like I said, Diplo and Skrillex and even some really dope cats from the underground. And there's like 70,000 people at that festival. Mm -hmm. And so to play on that big of a stage with lasers and like flamethrowers coming off of it and, and shit and knowing that there's like tens of thousands of people are like vibing out to the music. That's like, uh, you know, I don't know. There's no way to top the like endorphins that come from getting to do that. But, um, favorite, I gotta say is probably Nectar Lounge up in Seattle. I don't oh, know if Nectar. you guys have ever been like Fremont neighborhood. And that's less of a like, you know, transcending amazing experiences playing for thousands of people or whatever, but more just because they, um, they really like took a gamble on me early in my career and gave me a lot of support, both as a sound engineer and as like a DJ. And when I was getting hired to like play bass for this rock band for one of their uh, gigs, Nectar hooked us up. And so the people there that run that have just like always supported everything that I've done. That's awesome. And so I just like mad respect for Nectar Lounge. Okay, on the flip side, what's the worst venue you've ever? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like the most sketchy. You don't have to necessarily yeah. name the venue, but like what's the very sketchy situation? I mean, unless you want to name a venue, <laughs> fuck that. All like the smoke. Let's go, baby. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of like what's truly, what's truly the the craziest one. Um, we played in on this last tour in September. We played what I could only describe as like a haunted house. Really? <laughs> fuck no. You felt like spirits. It, I, I didn't feel like no ghosts or anything like that. But I just like we rolled up and we looked at it and we were like. People get murdered here. For yeah. sure. Bad, like, but some bad shit goes down. It's you guys ever been guy. to a dive bar and you've seen like in the bathroom, there's like just stickers over everything, like on the toilet and oh, the yeah. mirror and everything. So imagine that, but that's the in interior of the entire venue that we were in. Like every wow. space had like someone had like took, taken a knife and like scraped something in the wall mm -hmm. or like, just weird shit. 
garbage everywhere. Yeah, like they do stances here at night. Yeah. 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 And um and then ironically we had like a really, really good show. So <laughs> yeah. it, it, we started as being like, this is gonna be a total nightmare. And it ended up being fun. Low expectation, high reward. Yeah. 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 I feel that. What about craziest story from touring? Like have you ever any had anything just wild happen? Like fuck like Ghostface Killer walks in the what are your DJ sets or something? Um, we we met Ric Flair in Tampa, Florida. Ooh. Fucking awesome! <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was crazy because I didn't recognize him because I don't keep up with any of the wrestling stuff, and I guess he's like still a face in the WWE as like a whatever, yeah, like you know celebrity appearance and stuff like that. Um, but Michael, who's the MC of the group, he immediately was like. I just watched a documentary on this dude. That's Ric Flair. I'm positive it's Ric Flair. We were like, well, he like pulls up the Wikipedia and everything and like finds the photo, texts the group text. He's like, guys, I'm going to go say what up. Mm -hmm. And I guess he went and was like, hey, can I get a photo? Is that like too much trouble? And I guess Rick was like, yeah, it's a lot of fucking trouble. No, I'm just kidding. That's all good. It's like, see the photo. Yeah, but that was, that was wild. None of the guys believe me, but I'm like 85% sure I saw Jaden Smith in that hotel too. Jesus. So like <laughs> a, a look over the, over the shoulder and then he quickly looked away and was like trying to get in his room. And I was like, that looks like, that looks like Icon Living. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be an interesting conversation to, or person to have a conversation with. Hell yeah. I feel like just that whole little crew, like him, Tyler, the creator, like all those kids Earl sweatshirt yeah mm -hmm. he would actually be an interesting one yeah he's been yeah. on a uh, Rory Mall's podcast a couple times it really? was an interesting Earl conversation House? yeah it was like him and Alchemist did one tight interesting. which was pretty dope so next tour is coming up in December middle of November damn it I keep getting these months wrong yeah he just said it it's okay though uh, way to listen <laughs> east coast or west coast or where you guys hit next we did the east coast and southern states on the last one so we're doing like all west coast Washington Oregon California New Mexico Arizona Colorado I think in like three shows within each state or so Colorado would be a lot of fun yeah, I think we, we do Colorado Springs, and I don't know if we do Denver. I think we do some other smaller city just outside of Denver. Denver has the weirdest airport I've ever been to in my entire life. Yeah? Strangest airport. There's just, like, miles and miles of tunnels underneath it. There's, like, all kinds of weird, like, Illuminati symbolism all over. It's it's a strange place. Tight. There's, like, a, there's a, there's a, a horse, like, a big horse monument in the front that has, like, glowing eyes, and the person that, like, was creating it. A piece of it fell on him and killed him, and then his kids like finished it for him. And it's just like it's it's a creepy place. Yeah. And I went there, uh, so that's a layover when I was going to Houston, and I went there, and it was just creepy because there was nobody in there because it was COVID. Oh yeah, and it was like four o'clock in the morning. There's nobody in there. There's like all these like Nazi painting things on the wall. It was there's like a gargoyle that talks. It, it was weird. It was weird stuff. I don't like it. I don't, I can't even like picture it what you're describing, but just the description. I don't like it. It well, kind of sounds like that, that house you guys went to. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you guys are. At. It's like a theme. Haunted houses. I was saying earlier, I'm not into like horror film stuff yeah. at all. And then now you're talking about a haunted airport. That's like all of that combined. <laughs> I'm out. Oh man, that's crazy. Well, do you want to plug just some stuff you've got going on? Let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely go to beatsbytour.com. That's my website. You can find, uh, merchandise on there. You can find all my tour schedule, um, oh, yeah. spot of link to my Spotify playlist, base of the Mondays. I Shout out my there. base of the Mondays crew. Yeah, we got some teas yeah, yeah, here yeah. in the spot. Um, Shout out to my cousin Stein, who designs all my merch. He's like the most talented designer I've ever known. He does like 
merch, uh, like tour merch for like Migos and like all types of shit. He does like Damn, crazy solid. high level stuff. Yeah, he's incredible. Do you got to say that though? So your aunt will keep inviting you to Thanksgiving. Like if you don't, t- if you don't plug my son, you don't get to come for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Really cool ones during a, I have a culture two shirt. It was like, it was like the cutout art, but it was like a black shirt, but it was like cutout art. And then it had like all kinds of, it was a cover pretty much. And it was just on the shirt. It was really dope. Yeah. He might, that might've been the tour that he was designing. He used to be a roommate in this before this, when it was a house and not a studio. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I got to peek over his shoulder and see, you know, crazy Migos. He did shit for Kanye's. Uh, like clothing pop-up drops and like all oh, types dope. of dope stuff. Damn, so. that's sick. Yeah, those were cool shirts though. Migos had some dope tour merch. For yeah, sure. yeah, that culture, t- that culture too had a lot of cool like aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other uh, things worth shouting out: the Dark Time Sunshine West Coast tour uh, in November. You can hit on my website beastbytour.com for all the dates. There's links to tickets. We're probably playing in your city. Come check it out. The music's really, really good. I'm on the ones and twos, so you know it's going to be fire. There you go. <laughs> He's not playing Journey Don't Stop Believing, so no, if you're on, expecting that, do not come. Not on this one. Actually, there, I'm doing a feature set of some of my uh, stuff that I sing and rap on on this tour, so you'll catch a couple oh, nice. of my nice. okay. uh, unreleased like, songs, which I'm super excited about. That's um, DJ sure. set at uh, Numo's, which might be come and gone by the time this episode comes out, actually, comes now that uh, I'm thinking uh, about Monday. it. Yeah. All right. Well, you just missed my DJ set at Humos. <laughs> if you weren't there, shame on you. Yeah. But you got a tour stop in Seattle. Well, I guess it's not really a stop. It's to kick it off, right? Isn't it the first one in Seattle? Yes. We were scheduled to play at the new Crocodile, but they are pushing their opening back. So we're playing at the Fun House instead, which is connected to El Corazon. Oh. It used to be called something different. That's like right off the freeway. It is right off the freeway by the freeway. REI. Yep, yep. Um, oh, I'm thinking Greg's Japanese Auto is right around the corner. Yeah, I've been there um, a couple times. It's it's, it's cool. It's like some some dive bar stuff, but we're gonna turn it up and have a good time for sure. I actually wandered in there with Abdi one time, and it was a Korean rapper. Tight. Yeah, it was just so random though. We're like, oh, what is this? I don't even know why we were over there. Oh, there's a hookah bar down the street. Oh, yeah. Anywhere there is yeah. a hookah bar, it's like your bat signal. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but yeah it was, At least back then. It was cool. Yeah, yeah. and I'm seeing uh, Tim there. Oh, t- uh, I won't say his last yeah. name on here, but Tim Tim. Yeah, yeah. I was like, dang, that's hella random. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think his, his, uh, his, he has a rap group, and they, I think they used to perform at those. Oh, yeah, I forgot so about that. That would yeah, make sense why yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, real quick question. What's the best concert you've ever been to, and what's the worst concert? Kanye, you know, Kanye. Really. Sorry. Yeah, the same one. Yeah. <laughs> half of them's good, the other half. And man, that's a, that's a good question. I should, I feel like I should have it just off top. Uh, I feel like you wouldn't intentionally go to a bad concert. Yeah. Yeah, but there are concerts that end up bad, like Summer Jam, when this was like early Rick Ross, like 2008, nine maybe, where he was just yelling over the, the background vocals. Like, yeah. obviously, his sets come a long way from there. They had, like, Jason Derulo doing, like, weird dances up there. Like Summer Jam's back in the day were hit and miss. I'll give you that. Yeah. But the vibe of Summer Jam was hella fun. Yeah, it was tanked. And it was, I think, Drake right. and Wayne. Yeah. Or Drake and, Drake and the Game or something. I don't know. I think the, uh, I don't know. I'm, I see, like, so much good in concerts in general that, like, even if it wasn't even if it was uh, Rick Ross just like screaming <laughs> over his record, like yeah, with the vocals on it or something like that, I think I still would just be like, man, Rick Ross is like right there in front of me. That's yeah. so tight. Yeah, yeah. Um, the boss. 
but as a when I used to be a live sound engineer early in my career and I was not working at very cool venues yet, I definitely saw a lot of really terrible shows. Yeah. Of all genres and styles. And I think for me, the ones that I enjoy the least are one like a tribute act has a bad show. Because not only is it a bad show, but it ain't even your songs. Yeah. If you're going to yeah. be a tribute act to like, uh, you know, Queen or whatever. Like Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, yeah. Like you got to slay it because half your work is done. You didn't have to write the song. You can yeah. just learn how to play it the right way. And actually, I did see a Queen tribute band recently and they were hella good. So that's a bad, that's a bad example. The dude like really could sing like Freddie Mercury, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's just a musician stigma in general. If yeah. you're a songwriter, cover bands are like kind of whack in a way. <laughs> I get that though. Yeah, yeah, you're just like repeating somebody else's yeah. thing. Yeah, I can see how that would be that one. But you didn't, you didn't say the best one. You still don't. You don't have a. The best one that I could think of was uh, a couple years ago. I saw Zoo at um, Paramount Theater. You're talking about Zoo Z H U. Yeah. Uh, EDM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, yeah. the song is like "Baby, I'm yeah. Faded." Oh yeah, yeah, I love that song. Yeah, that show was phenomenal because like they didn't have. I mean, they had backing tracks, but they didn't have, like, any of Dude's part came through the computer at all. Like, he mm. sang his shit live. He played piano, like, beautifully. He brought, like, live guitar and saxophone on stage. The light show was, like, cracking. Hella just, like, energy and, like, high-level musicianship the whole time. And I'm not even the biggest fan of that, like, poppy side of EDM stuff. But mm. I was like, this is undeniably good through yeah. and through. I will say the best EDM act that I've seen was probably Porter Robinson. And the music is really good, but it wasn't even the music. It was the visuals that went along with it. Like it was a whole encompassing experience. So it was, it was a good time. Yeah. I see memes all this. I've never seen Porter Robinson live, but I've seen memes all the time with people being like, why do all Porter fans just go to his shows to like cry and have emotional moments or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I will say like sneakily, one of the better shows and you were with me that I've seen that I didn't expect because it was a smaller venue was we saw Pusha T at the showbox. Sweet. Which was pretty right. sick. Yeah. Is that what it was? The showbox? I'm pretty sure it was the showbox. Yeah. Market or Soto? Uh, Market. It was one up. It was down the street from Baltic Room. That's all I remember. Baltic yeah. Room. Yes. Uh, Soto is in like Soto down by the stadium. Is that right. right by? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one um, market, the one that you guys went to, is tight. Yeah. yeah I like that place a lot. It was. I've never been in there before until that. I was like, dang, I like how this is set up because everything is just like right here. Yeah, they got like big pillars with like lights around them. You just feel fancy as soon as you walk in there. Well, I mean, it was pushed, so it was a very dark setting. Yeah, Yeah, Cam Chancellor came out. It's a good time, though. It was a good time. I also saw, who else did I see there? Oh, Party Favor. I saw Party Favor there, which was pretty dope because the couple times I saw him before, that was like a big crowd, so it was cool. It was a little more intimate. I think I like a little bit the intimate crowds more now. Younger, I like the big crowds and Mm -hmm. being in there, but now like... I be feeling like the artist is like rapping to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. If it's rap music. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like just the idea that you're like, I'm not going to, but I could just like run up there and like, yeah. <laughs> like touch this person. Yeah. <laughs> Probably going to get tased. But... Some, yeah. 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 I wouldn't do it, but there's tight. It's tight to know that you could. Yeah. It's, it's cool so. to see that the people are real. Like you see them on TV all the time. And you're like, damn, okay. So yeah. you are a real person. That's what's up. <laughs> yeah. You're not a computer generated. Uh... Yeah. You're not a, Tupac hologram, like you're really yeah. hologram. I think too, you get a different performance out of someone when they feel like they're like, you know, there's twenty thousand people. You're like, enough people are gonna like this to where everyone else is gonna just start cheering. But if it's like two hundred people, you're like, yeah. I gotta win the heart of every motherfucker in here yeah. one by one. Seriously, yeah, that's a good point. 
Also, those ones are the best, too, because the people that actually go to those small shows like that are usually, like, super dedicated fans of that person. So they're singing word for word. They're all into it. Whereas opposed to, like, those bigger ones, they might not know the artist. So there's people just standing around. It kind of kills the vibe. Like, mm-hmm. you see sometimes when a big artist performs, they'll pan out into the crowd. And the crowd just looks dead. Mm-hmm. It's like most of the time it's because either they don't know the person or they're just not into that music. They're at a festival where they just wander to that stage. Yeah. So We were at a, a – you're making me think of – seeing Conway the Machine at Numa's the other night. Oh, and it sick. couldn't have been more than 500 people in there. And, like, surprise, halfway through his set, um, his brother comes out. Um, Talk about, um, oh, I can't think of their names right now. Not Benny, but the other one. Um, I'm telling this story, and I'm blanking on it, too. Conway and, why well, can't I think of his name? West Side Machine, Gun. West Side Gun. Yeah. I was going to say Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> yeah, you got to edit out me not remembering West yeah, Side yeah, Gun. Yeah. That's, that's just embarrassing. Um, but he came out and like did three of his songs and like unexpected. And then those 500 people were like, well, shit, I would, he would have been at, you know, Showbox or maybe like Wamu or something. Cause his career is like cracking right now. Yeah. And, you know, he just came out with his brother and did a couple songs to the few people that were at that show. Damn, those dope. are really, really dope moments. I and, wish uh, I, I, I would have caught that, but I feel this is going to sound bad, but I feel a little unsafe at one of those concerts cause very aggressive hip hop, like. Very, very aggressive hip hop. So I'm like, ah, yeah, it <laughs> this was might not be my crowd at 31. I might have taken this risk at like maybe 25, but yeah, I, th- I feel that. I think it's probably less risky than most people think. Probably. Seattle's like not a very, uh, I mean, I think we have like a lot of gangster rap fans, but I think even anyone that is like around that lifestyle is like generally pretty chill. Yeah, maybe in LA, I wouldn't go see West Side Gun, yeah, yeah, like yeah. New York or Chicago, but. We're, I think we're chill concert goers in Seattle, especially in hip hop. It's a lot of people like folding their arms and being like, "That's cool." Yeah, <laughs> can't show any emotion, just fold up against the wall. Yeah, yeah, can't dance during a Benny the Butcher song. Look a little weird. Nod. <laughs> we ruin your street cred or something. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty. Well, that is episode ninety. Thank you for joining us. We really yeah. appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah. Just giving us an insight into tour life. I mean, we're both huge music fans, so getting to hear a different side of it's really dope. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. Thank you all for having me and uh, hard-hitting questions and for doing the podcast, too. You guys are tight as hell. Appreciate you. You're pretty dope yourself. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) That is episode 90 of the No Structure Podcast. You can catch us bi-weekly on Mondays, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and I'm always forgetting one. You guys can figure it out. The No Structure Podcast.com. That's what Uh, I said. Instagram is at No Structure Podcast. Uh, yeah, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and all that good stuff. Help us out. And, yeah, check out tour stuff, and we wish you best of luck on tour. Yes, sir. Thanks, man.